0: Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior analyst James Early, Tim Hanson, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, happy Friday. Happy Friday, happy Friday to Friday you, you, Chris. Chris. Uh, wow, that was, that was <laughs> almost in unison there. That was nice. <laughs> we, planned that. We, we practiced it. All right, yeah. we got a lot to get to this week, including a big bank seizure, the falling dollar, and the latest twist in the Bernie Madoff saga. So we'll talk about all that, share three stock ideas, and air a few beefs. Mm. Shannon, let's kick things off with you. This week, the FDIC seized Florida's Bank United and sold it to a group of investors who agreed to inject 900 million into the new bank Bank United has around 13 billion dollars worth of assets so we're not talking about chump change here but I gotta ask what why should investors care about this?
1: Well, so they have uh, about $13 billion in assets and then another almost $9 billion in in deposits. And I think they should care about it because it could be, or at least maybe it should be, the shape of things to come. We finally had a real stress test as opposed to the mock exams that uh, were out a couple of weeks ago. So basically what you have is the, the largest regional bank in uh, Florida failing. And there is some good news. Uh, I guess you could look at this and compare it to Indymac, the largest bank failure that the FDIC had participated in, and say, well, you know, it took them five months to to find a buyer for Indymac. Mac they had a buyer almost immediately well really immediately for uh, for Bank United so that's could be good news because buyer uh, private investors are willing to step up to the plate and say hey you know I'm, I'm willing to, to uh, put something at risk uh, for th- this troubled bank in anticipation of profits, but the price had to be right, and the FDIC was definitely in Monty Hall or uh, uh, Howie Mandel mode. and They were <laughs> wheeling and dealing, and basically, if you take a look at the book value of uh, Bank United and compare it to what the investors had to put in, and they're paying less than a nickel on a uh, dollar of book value. So, if that is the shape of things to come in terms of other banks that have, as this bank does, uh, substantial exposure to the subprime market, uh, investors should be, in financial stocks in particular, quite concerned.
2: Well, not just the subprime market, but the, the non-resident alien <laughs> subprime market. <laughs> I was going to leave that to you, I was I was a little shocked. I, I read in the, the article that Bank United specializes in making loans to um, non-resident aliens who want to own property in Florida. So these are largely Latin Americans who decided they wanted a vacation home in Miami. So not only did they see the vacation home value plummet, and then maybe their own economy suffered, but then they had their own home currency drop fifty percent against the dollar. So now they're underwater on the loan. They're underwater another fifty percent on the currencies, and and, and you they're know, two thousand miles away. And <laughs> two tha- how is anybody going to go get this money back from these guys? You, you don't
0: want to be a yeah. loan officer for uh, for Bank United. I think is you're in you're trouble.
2: Saying? Well, you maybe yeah. maybe. They'll probably sell it to some sort of strongman to go down there and look into it, but I would say the, the likelihood of any of these things getting getting back is low.
3: And, and a broader point is that if you're listening in Dubuque or in Boise or someplace, thinking, "Oh, I'm not in Florida. What do I care?" Uh, well, maybe you should care because the lesson learned here. Is real estate is going to burn these small banks? We we had the big banks have all their 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 garbage aired, and, and that's over with. But a lot of the smaller banks, the community banks, the state banks, are exposed to commercial and residential real estate, and that's going to be the next shoe to fall, especially the commercial real estate. So might want to check your, your 10Ks on those.
1: Well, James, but let me uh, ask you a question as a follow-up to that. So there's still uh, this this issue of uh, the, the bigger banks having toxic assets as well and that the public-private partnership which I beefed about uh, and will beef again uh, th- this week. <laughs> nice. Beef is a verb <laughs> 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 On this podcast, yes. Chris. Absolutely. Um, is this a test case for what might happen there? It, so there's a kind of public-private partnership that's happening with the FDIC taking uh, a substantial uh, part of the, the the risk out of the equation in the same way that the federal government would for the bigger banks, is this yeah. maybe the shape of things to come?
3: I think so. You know, to be honest, I... I I read about the public private partnership and I and I I sort of understand it but then again I don't. Yep. I mean it's it's a weird thing. It sort of it, it, it requires sort of a self-inflicted gunshot wound from <laughs> banks in order to get <laughs> medical help. So, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to play out but Check. yeah, I mean I think in terms of the proportions the magnitude, I mean hopefully this is more severe than, than we'll see there but but oh, yeah, it's so not absolutely. a good it's not a good start. Well, well you know, crossed. at
2: the end of the day the only thing that matters is <laughs> the assets on the on the books, right? I mean you know, if you've got outstanding loans to people two thousand miles away, you have no chance of paying. I mean, it's going to end up costing the taxpayer a lot of money, regardless of whether it's a public-private partnership or, you know, regardless of what the plan is. There's, there's really no upside or limited upside.
0: Just one final question. You, you had said that this could be a sign of things to come. Right. I mean, is, is it because the FDIC basically just made this? so available and so easy for a buyer to step in
1: uh, I, I think so i think that the deal was too good to resist now that the investor group it was a, a three-headed monster it was a pretty basically. savvy savvy group of guys smart, yeah. smart guys and, and at least uh, uh, one of the representatives had they've been his organization had been looking at this bank for over a year and wanted to wait until you know the valuation was rock bottom well given what they paid relative to what they're getting you know if they if they managed the bank uh, the deposits
0: part of it correctly this is a, a cash cow for them with virtually no risk Okay, James, it was a rough week for my favorite piece of paper, the U.S. dollar. (laughs) Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner made positive comments about the economy, and the dollar fell. Standard & Poor's threatened to cut Britain's credit rating, and the dollar fell. So my question to you is, (laughs) other than it sounds just like an inherently good thing to have a strong dollar, why should investors... What does it mean for investors yeah. that the dollar is falling? Well, first
3: of all, it is kind of funny that we can't win for trying. I mean, good news <laughs> is bad news and, and bad news is bad news. <laughs> I think we had two things happen. First was a flight away from safety when Tim Geithner said things are doing better than we thought. You know, people thought, okay, it's good for the global economy. We don't need to huddle as close to the quality, i.e. the dollar, as we have before. Then again, Standard and Poor's uh, got nasty with the U.K., putting them on a negative credit watch, and, and the implication is they might do something similar for the U.S. So the question is, is the U.S. as quality as, as we thought? So yeah, so we've got those two forces, but they are what they are. So if you're an investor, I think the key point is to look at the exposure in your companies. If you have a, a company that that exports a lot, that, that gets more of its revenue from outside the U.S. than from inside the U.S., you actually want a weak dollar because it's going to be more sales for that company. And when those foreign currencies come over and they translate back into dollars, they're going to convert into proportionately more dollars. So that's good. Um, it's less good for just plain old domestic companies. It's less good for the U.S. in general.
1: Al- although it does make, to the extent that it makes domestic goods more attractive, it makes imports less attractive. So there's at least some marginal impact
2: uh, on the domestic yeah, side as well. Yeah, for savings. Yeah. Right. I was going to say the the weak dollar. Uh, the dollar could probably stand to weaken a little bit. And with And no one should really be concerned about that. As it's strengthened enormously over the past six months as as people fled other currencies for for safety as james said and as you know as people reevaluate uh, their their risk tolerance the dollar should fall quite quite a bit and and you know makes it more expensive to go travel in europe but um, a lot of benefits as you guys pointed out.
1: Yeah, I think I'm the podcast resident conspiracy theorist, but I think this is all orchestrated. Everything that seems like a gap <laughs> or a rhetorical <laughs> pratfall on Geithner's part. Uh, you know it's part of a grand master boy plan. genius. <laughs> Tim Geithner. I, I was just gonna say so he's so okay. he's like
0: you know the, the Peter Sellers character and being there he's just it's, it's, it's so
1: it's, bad he's good. It's yeah. so beautifully choreographed. it looks like chaos.
0: All right, moving on. (laughs) Profound. Tim, let's talk about Bernie Madoff. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the SEC is investigating some of Madoff's clients, clients who allegedly told Madoff how much in returns they wanted. So does that mean that, we actually had a bunch of people driving the getaway
2: car. Like, I what, think what is, is your take? I on I think this? this is fascinating because I got to thinking about this while I was watching uh, the Negotiator on Bravo a couple nights ago. How deep does this conspiracy go? Because these were a lot of these made off clients. This is Sam Jackson. Bravo's Sam come a Jackson, long way. Jackson, you know? <laughs> turned into Kevin a pretty Spacey. solid network. <laughs> yes, all star cast. Um, these were savvy investors for the most part. You know, Kevin Bacon aside, but <laughs> these were generally savvy <laughs> investors at the Madoff fund, and and you figure over this. You know, 15, 20-year charade. Someone somewhere got a little suspicious about these returns that were coming in. Maybe went to Bernie Madoff and said, "You know, what's going on?" And at that point, like any great uh, criminal kingpin does, maybe he, you know, cut him in on the deal. And and, and, and instead of riding out Madoff or his or his fraud, uh, they, you know, if not. Um, took part in it, were implicit in it, or complicit in it, and I think it's fascinating to see how deep this goes because because it's starting to look like it goes pretty and, deep.
0: And I should just say, the word "allegedly" should just be spread out. <laughs> I, 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 we should open and close the podcast with that word, exactly, particularly with this story. But I mean, rampant
2: I, speculation, it, though, is, enter- <laughs>
0: is entertaining. But, yeah. Yeah. but that's that's really what the SEC is looking into. So, so
3: here's what I don't understand. I mean, if, if I'm an investor and I suspect a Ponzi scheme is going on. Presumably, I'm going to want to withdraw my money. So, so it would appear to me that that these ha- these guys had to think that maybe it wasn't so much a Ponzi scheme, but he had some sort of dirty scam going on that was
2: right. still. Yeah. Profiting illicitly. Well, you know, some of these guys, if you look at the the withdrawal records out of the Madoff fund, there's some very interesting withdrawals. I mean, there were there were certain people who withdrew every year, right? And and maybe that was just their policy, or maybe they were told to be withdrawing every year. And there are other people who let it roll for the whole 15, 20 years and were Kevin entirely Bacon. wiped. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: so off, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so
0: Kevin Bacon had all like
2: did he, he just, had all the money? Yeah.
1: Now my understanding is that Kira Sedgwick actually runs the family You Yeah, but those Footloose, royalties.
0: <laughs> well, she she plays that tough cop, right?
1: Yeah, whatever that show know, is. It, is
2: that on Bravo too? Oh, is it?
1: It's not no, on, case. Is it just, no, is no,
0: it's no, no. it's on TNT. It's, oh, uh, the Closer. The
1: closer. Yeah, the closer. Oh, that's right. She's the she's the drunk. Yeah, she doesn't right? play an, an it No, wait, that's Holly Hunter. That's I've got, Holly I've Hunter. got it all confused. You're getting all of these like tough women cops
0: mashup. All right, all right. Let's move on. It's time for what's your beef? Time to go off on a stock, a person, a company, a concept, and Shannon, we'll start with you.
1: Uh, Is the cow louder this week than it's been in the past? It's a a loud cow. It's... Sorry, sorry. Uh, well, my, my beef. I'm gonna rebeef uh, about the the public partner uh, public private partnership. Uh, complained last week that there appeared to be some kind of news blackout. Well, apparently our podcast has subscribers at Treasury because lo and behold, uh, Geithner's been talking about it again. And it turns out <laughs> talking about the podcast? N- no,
0: <laughs> Perhaps it, the, the right
2: cocktail Who isn't party. Who is it talking see, about see, the here's
1: podcast? The, here's <laughs>
0: what I'm worried about. I'm worried that if Tim Geithner starts talking about our podcast publicly, that that our numbers are gonna go down. But but our exports will be, you know. That we much more attractive abroad. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? What is my, Can I get the cow again? Public private, Public, private beef. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Good. No, okay, good. Uh, that's the reset button for me. Uh, so, it, they are now talking about it. it turns out that uh, they are claiming now that it's going to be about six weeks before the program is fully up and running and that they have had 100, count them, 100 fund managers who, to express interest in participating in the program. Uh, a, it's a bit of a surprise to me that it's taken this long and will take a month and a half more before the program is really fully implemented and you can sort of uh, vet whether or not it's, it's working in the way that they claim it will. And then, who knows what the yield is going to be on those... One 100 interest expressors. I uh, would imagine it's not going to be uh, that high. And again, to circle back around to where we started, if what happened with the, uh, the, the Regional Bank in Florida is any indication there's still that yawning chasm that exists between uh, toxic assets, what investors are willing to pay, that problem is never going to go away, not even uh, with the, the, the deal sweeteners that the, that the Treasury uh, Public-Private Partnership Plan uh, is uh, dangling in front of investors.
3: James? Chris, I've beefed about China in the past, and I'm here I am to beef about it again. I mean, I'll, I'll caveat this. As I said the other week, I love China. You know, it's my go-to source for pharmaceuticals, pirated DVDs, and baby food, things like that. Oh, my God. But, <laughs> I know, I know. It's low. Um, but but there's two things that I, I noticed here. I'm trying to get a Chinese uh, visa, James, so if we can tone this down <laughs> a little bit. I
2: don't know how far this podcast goes. <laughs> Clean it up kinda, in post.
3: Yeah. China, China wants developed countries To adhere to very specific Emissions control requirements While developing countries Can kind of play it by ear And, and presumably this is just An opening gambit on their part But but come on I think that's a little bit cheesy And, and not that the U.S. is, is any saint uh, In this regard I think we all need to be in this together China and the U.S. included Second beef China and Brazil are trying to buddy up to create an alternative currency to the U.S. dollar. Now, I'm a patriot and an American, etc., so it kind of bothers me. And, and, And much as I don't like the idea, I can sort of understand the idea of wanting something other than the dollar, but China... I mean, their currency is kind of a joke. I mean, well, they, they it don't free-float it. It's not a real currency. I don't see how it's going to gain any sort of real credibility.
2: I was going to say, Putin suggested not too long ago that, that the ruble become an alternative to the dollar, which prompted laughing worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, what's your beef? My, my beef is with the, the implication that I've seen in the papers recently that U.S. stocks remain really cheap. And And while that's true, if you compare them against sort of where they were in 1999— um, if you actually look at where U.S. stocks are today versus every other country's stocks, U.S. stocks are pretty darn expensive. They're trading about nine times EBITDA. And if you're willing to go uh, to India or uh, Japan or down to – if you're willing to really risk it and go down to South Africa and, and hang out with new president Jacob Zuma, who's an interesting character in himself. With a couple of wives. With with more than a couple. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alleged. Oh. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, you can get – South Africa companies are selling for six times EBITDA, India eight. You know, so if you're buying U.S. stocks right now under the presumption that they're cheap, you might want to look at some other countries.
0: Alright, as we head into a short trading week with Memorial Day weekend, Shannon, give Don't me a Don't say note. short. <laughs>
1: One stock on your radar. Uh, it's uh, Chesapeake Energy, uh, ticker is CHK. Been doing some work this week with uh, the Fool's resident natural gas expert, Michael Olson. Uh, looking at an entry that's been beaten down uh, hard over the last 12 months, it uh, has been ticking up uh, so far this year, both in terms of the commodity price and the, some of the companies that specialize in it, but still a long way to go relative to how, how beaten down Chesapeake in particular looks. right now. Now natural gas is trading uh, below the cost of new production, and so that's an imbalance that will be addressed either through supply uh, reductions or as the economy heats up, demand heating up as well. So either way you look at it, there's some simple math that argues that that's an industry to be uh, focused on right now. And I think that as you as you look at the players, Chesapeake Industries or Ch- Chesapeake Energy uh, strikes a very attractive profile.
0: All right, James?
3: Chris, if you've had enough fun and want something kind of boring and, and stable, uh, my yeah, stock is Yeah, that's me all you, over. Okay. I'm having <laughs> way too much fun. <laughs> is is Florida Power and Light, or, or now FPL. They wanted to go by the abbreviation because it sounds cool. Well, nobody guess. wants to be associated with Florida anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this is a, a $22 billion market cap utility. I like it because it combines two worlds. One is good old boy Southern uh, utility with favorable regulatory uh, uh, relations, uh, favorable demographic growth. But they're also a leader in wind power, which I think is actually pretty cool. They have wind farms all up and down the East Coast, including West Virginia, where I go to to ski and hike and, and, and rock climb a lot. So these are some pretty huge things. And they're they're not, you know, it's not a big force yet, but, but I, I do like it. So
2: FPL. All right Tim. Well, this isn't a stock that's, that's for everybody, but if you believe that emerging frontier economies are, are cheap today, but you want to find a sort of stable way to play them, I think there's no better stock out there than, than Philip Morris International. And it's just you know they're, they're selling cigarettes uh, at different price points, pretty much everywhere except the United States. We're not talking about Altria. we're not talking no about no this is the spin-off Altria had uh, a while back. Just the cigarette assets outside the United States. So these are you know Eastern Europe, uh, China, uh, Indonesia, Mexico, the rest of Latin America, uh, you know, just a powerhouse company, huge balance sheet, massive cash flows, real growth opportunities in these countries, and uh, you know but you get the benefit of a, of a big company in very exciting places.
0: James Early, Tim Hansen, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here.
2: Sure thing, Chris. Thanks, Chris.
0: Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. You can check out past episodes at motleyfoolmoney.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next time.